Hi, and thanks for listening. Today's episode on Santa Sangre includes discussions of sexual violence as portrayed in the film. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Then you can start okay, recording. Please on your tell own. me, please tell me how you would pronounce the director of this film. Just for Harry and I, just our benefit. Jodorowsky. Okay, fu- all right. Okay, so uh, no, you talk no, a lot sincere, of shit sincerely, guys. What, what the hell? What the fucking hell are you talking about? At least <laughs> Harry has seen this this trailer four times, sitting next to me at the trilon, and he's still trying to pretend that it's pronounced Jodorowsky. And Aaron, I don't know. You might have just woken up from consciousness yesterday. Sorry, sorry. what did? What, what did, did you sh- say just now? Jason, what, what is the difference between what Harry said and what yeah. you said? You are not very good at typing and not making it look like you're typing in a separate chat to Harry right now. I'm, I'm not. not he's not typing Thank to you me. very much for right, listening okay, to Trilove. Okay, is this the worst bit of all time? Thank you very this much for I, listening to Trilove. This is the most confusing it's, uh, bit of all time. You know what? We should probably sorry, start the Harry podcast. Harry and I are hijacking <laughs> the ship. You are yeah. not doing right? this intro, sir. Welcome <laughs> to Trilove. We're about to beat Jason's ass. Cody's out of town. This is a wacky ep. So guess right. guess what, motherfucker? You were giving shit for Harry pronouncing this name correctly, and now you, you think you can just steamroll through this? You think you can just he's, do he's the intro to change the, the subject? He gets to choose when the podcast starts. He's going to edit this With out. Own, he's going yeah. to edit. Oh, you're you know, right. He is also the editor. We give him too much power, don't we? That's the problem. We, we need to kill Jason, I think. That, that is really what this is barreling toward. Well, make sure you don't string together too many words now that could be uh, used against us because, again, he does have final editing <laughs> privileges. <laughs> Jason, please, uh, I guess continue. No, 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 no. It's your show, buddy. All right, folks, uh, welcome to Trilove, a little literal roundtable podcast uh, where we talk about the movies that we saw and the people that we met at the Trilon each week. Uh, my name is Aaron. Uh, uh, oh, I guess I got to go now. Uh, I uh, My name is Aaron, and I also have a life-sized replica doll of my mother. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at RBPlease. My name is Jason Daphnis. Uh, I love your nose, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Aw, that was so sweet. Uh, thank you, Jason. I'm Harry Mackin. Go ahead and destroy this abomination, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Are you, are you, okay, you're not pick are you satisfied? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I am. I am. I think we you're satisfied. Then, then, I, then I should let the listeners know that they should go to Trilon.org for tickets and showings oh, and more yes. information about things going on at the Trilon, including the Cult Film Collective membership, which is a sort of brand new program experience yeah. that the Trilon is a part of. Uh, you'll get access to a video library and all sorts of cool showings and stuff. That's I forget if it's currently still limited in capacity, but uh, you should check it out anyway at coltfilmcollective.com. Uh, you can get tickets to the ongoing Nick Cage series, which is running through August. Um, 
at uh, trilon.org and a bunch of other cool showings. They've got a Yafit Kato series going on very shortly. Um, I believe the Gene Tierney one is still running for a short while. Uh, and of course, um, uh, well, movies like this, one-offs like this uh, film that we're about to talk about, which I will actually hand back to Aaron because that's his only role in the podcast. This is uh, just read the Wikipedia <laughs> summary, baby. Jason tossed the knife over to me. I'm now sexually uh, explicitly licking mm. it. Uh, nice. Yes, we are talking about uh, uh, Santa uh, Sangre. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Santa Sangre uh, did not take. I just like know, how how long you waited to, to go between uh, Santa and Sangre. You were like, Santa? Ooh, really sangre. might have <laughs> that one. Uh, it, it means holy blood. It is a 1989 <gasps> film directed by Alejandro Jodorowsky. Uh, it is co-written, a uh, quick note, by uh, Claudio Argento, uh, who is the younger brother to uh, director, producer, etc., uh, Dario Argento. Makes an uh, awful lot of sense. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of knives being kind of descended onto flesh uh, in this film, which does make sense. Um, the film uh, follows the disturbing life of a man named Phoenix, uh, played by Axel Jodorowsky and uh, Adon uh, Jodorowsky uh, as adult and child Phoenix, respectively. Um, as Felix, uh, sorry, Phoenix grows up uh, as a part of a circus act um, and is regularly exposed to horrifying circumstances by his father, Orgo, um, who's uh, the circus leader and the knife thrower, who is played here by Guy Stockwell. Uh, Phoenix's mother is Concha, who works as a trapeze artist uh, in the circus, uh, but he was also the leader of a religious cult uh, that worships a uh, young girl who was uh, very, like, brutally uh, raped and had her arms cut off. Jason, remember to put a please put trigger warning at the beginning of this. Um, Concha here is played by Blanca Guerra. Um, also in the circus act is a deaf-mute child named Alma, played by Saprina Dennison and Fabiola Elenka Tapia uh, as adult and young Alma, who Phoenix is friends with. Uh, when Concha uh, uh, comes back from the, uh, the very like tragic uh, demolishing of her, her church, uh, she discovers Orgo having an affair with another member of the circus act. Um, she pours uh, this very toxic acid on him, uh, enraging him. Uh, in retaliation, he cuts off Concha's arms and then kills himself. Uh, these events severely traumatize Phoenix, uh, and he spends many years in a mental asylum uh, until his mother shows up one day outside of his window, calling out to him to join her. Um, this is another film that joins the the long list of films that you think would be easy to summarize, but are weirdly tricky to summarize due to the amount of people and very specific events. Um, I, I guess just as kind of a Kind of a, a lead in here. I, I don't know, Jason, if you wanted to bring this up at the beginning, but one thing that you mentioned is kind of the structure of this film as kind of a film that exists in two very distinct yet necessary halves uh, that are tonally different and even like thematically different. But like, mm -hmm. it feels like there's like the first half of this movie that exists as like a very long, not quite like a, a title card drop in the middle of this film, right? But like there is a first part of this movie that sets up a very different second part of this movie. I don't know. Did, mm -hmm. did you did you did you have any any thoughts on that? Or I guess what were your you were kind of saying like oh, I don't know about the second half kind of won me over, but that first half kind of first yeah, the first half kind of yeah. put me in a bad mood because. Uh, and again, I'm not going to have super deep thoughts about this, but hopefully they spark something. It's a good place to start, I think, because it is discussing like the first part of the movie. Uh, it does like it starts with obviously literally starts with um, with Phoenix in the asylum sort of uh, he's he's not well. He's pretending that he's a bird. He's pretending he's a Phoenix. But then we skip uh, pretty like for about the next 40 minutes. We skip to 
the backstory in the circus where all of these sorted events that Aaron just listed happened. Uh, and we stay there like unpausingly for like 40 minutes, uh, just sort of seeing the, in the comings and goings of the people in the place, sort of the, uh, focusing on the most sorted events in it. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, affair between the tattooed woman and Orgo and sort of the revenge that Concha takes and her trying to preserve the church because I, don't know if you mentioned she tries to preserve the church that she um that she worships at from the Roman Catholic or sorry from local business people I guess bulldozing it uh yeah. and even even that sect is sort of cast is sort of an outcast of the larger Catholic faith because of their sanctification of a of a of a rape victim essentially um and I just think that section goes on a long time uh and maybe yeah. is a little too plot focused like there's a lot of stuff that does echo throughout the movie. And like you said, there are necessary parts to it. I don't think it's necessary necessarily to have squashed it all into the first half of the movie because I was just sort of like, you sort of see where the pieces are building. You sort of, you've maybe heard this story before where it's like a very uh, uh, unstable home life leads to a young person becoming, uh, you know, untethered from a certain, like sort of that surreality that plays into the larger movie. You can see how it might bake into this character and sort of like leave him with a lasting trauma, but it is just like fairy one thing after another just happens. Like he has this little budding romance with the deaf mute uh, Alma, the performer, and that gets torn away from him. And he has, uh, you know, he watches the elephant die and that's a really sad loss of innocence for him. He watches his dad literally rape his mom in a hypnotic trance. And it's really like rough stuff for the first 40 minutes of this movie. And by the time that it was done, and by the time that we take a very quick pivot to what you were talking about in the second half or so, I was like, that probably could have done concurrently maybe with, we, we can discuss the structure, but I feel like that might've been more effectively meted out through maybe flashbacks or callbacks or dream sequences or some other like cinematic language to give us that story without just like making it the first half of the movie. Uh, it just kind of put my hackles up until the second half, which I appreciated considerably more. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting because I think that, I think you're right. I think the pacing of this movie was maybe the most surprising part for me. Um, I've only seen one Jodorowsky movie before and it was uh, El Topo, but I was sort of under the impression that he is like very much a surrealist, very much like a person who sort of eschews traditional narrative form. So I, I was very surprised by how much this ended up being a very conventional narrative. Mm -hmm. um, I kind yep. of even thought that the second half of the narrative was even considerably more traditional than the first half um, yes. in a way that I think I agree with you, Jason. It made it um, considerably more easy to watch. I actually think I might have preferred the first half just because I think that there are some particularities to the symbolism in that half that I think are really well done. Um, but I was surprised by how little is left to the imagination by the end of this movie. Right? right. I mean, I think, I think that almost the entire final sequence is like sheerly expository, right? Like they literally show exactly what the illusions are, exactly where they came from, exactly like what they were functioning to do for phoenix and yeah. then they disappear and he lets go of them right it's very straightforward at the end which is really interesting because i think that the first half of this movie like i think that the the santa sangre um church and the lady without arms and uh phoenix's relationship to both his mom and his dad are really like fascinating and kind of psychologically dense in this movie um and they made for really interesting um 
dynamics, particularly because in my opinion, at least, and, and I didn't look up anything about this movie, so maybe you guys caught on to this and I didn't, but I fully thought I was just supposed to sympathize with the mom. You know what I mean? It like it didn't occur to me that this was going to end up being psycho, where like right. she yeah. is yes. the psycho. And, is, yes, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's very clearly his psycho, psycho right? Too. Like, like we, I mean, we talked yeah. about psycho too for like ten minutes one time for the horathon thing, but right. like, yeah. I don't know if we want to compare this to psycho no, please. too. But like, there's a comparison oh, to psycho too. Like it, it is. Um, this this movie does. I mean, I, 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 I kind of I think from just like a purely practical or, or at least like trying to come to terms with like my own just like purely, I don't know, uh, like aesthetic or like sensory appreciation for the, the, the film. I think that, yeah, I mean, like the the, the first act, even though from a, uh, I don't know, a writing standpoint, a structural standpoint, um, maybe kind of kind of holds up to the second half. I think I do kind of agree with what at least I think Jason is saying, not to put too many words in his mouth, we're like second half is kind of like it's more, I don't know, fun, but it is like that's when the stuff like it all it all kind of uh the first half kind of leads to the second half, right? It but really it, feels like he probably wrote the second half first and then almost accidentally uh, made it as yeah, much uh, about the first half as the second, you know? Cuz like the story of this movie is the adult story. But yes, my, my it, understanding is that it is very much uh, uh, kind of based on um, certain like writings and like like an understanding of like uh, people with mental health issues, specifically around like split personalities and things like that, that I, I think like uh, I read about this earlier and I'm forgetting, but I believe like someone who had worked in like a mental hospital for a while had like talked to Jodorowsky or like somehow corresponded with him about like those kind of issues and that he had like very much. Yeah, like, I mean. You know, was that was that stories, person? Yeah, did that continue. person happen to be Jewish, and did that contribute to the very weird joke that's in the middle of this movie? Did we? Wait, do you joke? guys did pick I up on it? it? Did I miss oh, it? they're like uh, the the, the doctor is joke? dropping off a bunch of Down syndrome people in Phoenix outside of a, a theater because they're going out for the night for fun because they're all part of that yeah. mental institution. And he goes, "Okay, guys, I'll see you later. I gotta go uh, with my grandma." And then he walks off screen with his grandma and off screen ADR'd in, they say, we're going to go to the synagogue. <laughs> and it's like, what? Like, why, why was it important you, for him to include? Like going to the- yeah. Like, <laughs> why was it important to include that this doctor was very specifically Jewish? I like got really in my head about that for like a second. And then I was like, you know, I'm not going to deal with that right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'll uh, you know I'll look into it. Jason just edited in the result of my many hours of research right here. Okay. Anyway, now that that's now that now that I've said that, um, yeah. No, I, I it the 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 structure of the film is weird, but I do think that this film does. It's like an interesting balancing act of like switching the tone and switching kind of sympathies back and forth for for the main character, you know, Phoenix, who who is also in a lot of ways the villain, but also his mother is, but also his mother isn't, right? And I, I think it does it does a very good job of like switching that back and forth and having these kind of twists and turns while also I think having this very strong through line of empathy for people who uh you know grew up in, in very traumatic environments, people who've who've seen a lot of trauma and, and really harsh shit in their life and like having empathy for them and then also kind of believing in the ability for them to overcome this and to uh uh if not kind of repent for what they've done and to kind of make up for what they've done at least to heal to become a better person with an understanding of of you know who they were in the past i think that that's like 
you know, even though I do agree with maybe some of the issues around like the pacing of this movie, I, I find that kind of overcoming those kind of more practical concerns. Uh, in an yeah. Um, I mean, I think in particular, you stated that really well, because I think that even the pacing of this movie is sort of in service of the twist, right? Like, yes, and, and maybe yeah. not maybe not the twist that necessarily his mother was an illusion, because that's relatively easy to see coming. But the just the fact that she was the villain at all, right? Like, mm-hmm. because like, in the first half of this movie, I really thought like, I was very um, moved by the idea that this woman is is deifying a... Um, I mean, grisly, but relatively mundane by the standards of this universe um, girl, right? It's like the the Catholic Church doesn't know who this person is because she was just a young girl who was um, raped and murdered. But it was like there is there is about something about that story that is worth making deifying, right? It's worth being important. And when you think about the fact that his mother is also like fundamentally a victim of abuse that's sort of overlooked and misused she kind of is like very clearly the patron saint of the overlooked and the oppressed and the invisible, right? Like Phoenix ends up being the, the invisible man. Um, and I think that even that would have been sort of like a really potent um, sort of like story to start with, but it goes a lot further than that in the second half, right? Because it kind of turns that idea on its ear when all of a sudden like that, that deification, it becomes vengeful. And then it becomes something that Phoenix is sort of like, has to deal with in his own mind, right? Where like mm-hmm. he feels responsible for the victimization, not just for being a victim, but being the perpetrator because of his right. who his father is and because of his father's relationship to him and his mother. Um, and that guilt creates this situation. So it really like, I think it's a really dynamic um, psychological character study of Phoenix in a lot of ways. And I think that the, um, I really like the two stageness of it because it really sets up for an interesting sort of like twist that you can really sympathize with from Phoenix's psychological um, perspective, right? Like I think I could understand why he felt the guilt and the anger and self-hatred at his own lust that drove him to be this way and drove him to be persecuted by his mother. And I could understand why it was taking his mother's form, and I could understand why he had to overcome it, right? And I think that we get all of that because of the sort of careful storytelling here. Hmm. Um, I guess... I guess there's certain measure that I wish the careful storytelling had at the beginning. There's uh, like larger pieces, like the, the bulldozing of the church, which does take like a significant amount of time. It does expose like the sort of why they, uh, the symbology of the arms and why they sort of, uh, uh, worship this, uh, you know, sort of made saint that the larger church doesn't recognize. Um, but that feels it feels like a lot of exposition in a movie where like, I do, I do find that the second half is much more interesting, much more like, even if it's not any more uh, like if, even if it's more grounded, even if it's easier to grok, I still found that I like enjoyed it and could like, and uh, I don't, I don't mean to insinuate that like, I only enjoy things that I can understand. No, uh, no. But, in, but in this case, it's like, this was my first Yodorovsky movie and it's the one that was where i was like i'm gonna be thrown for something i'm gonna i gotta be like i gotta have everything up gotta perk up my ears and pay attention to the whole thing and in the first act it's like there's nothing that's going to miss you everything is right there everything's flat on it like and then when around that halfway point where uh he is exposed to like the world outside of his asylum and uh very very quickly sort of the story changes from him being like a person who cannot even come to he can't even like maintain a state of like sapience and sentience for like not resolving his trauma 
he is, uh, he goes directly from that, from one night of apparent, like, and maybe I, I didn't miss anything, right? We don't actually see a night of debauchery happening. He just like witnesses the tattooed woman in the square and then wakes up. Right. And then he has like, it is insinuated well, that he had his night. Yeah. She she is running the brothel that that one weird cocaine guy takes he and yeah. his fellow asylum yeah. inmates to yes. inmates isn't the right word patients to um and I guess that's how she meets her but yeah I think that that's right that's the only sort of like link that like there's, we see yeah which is fine again we like because we've set it up uh, such that like we know what importance she had to his life we know like what that meant. we know that like that was one of the sources of conflict between uh between his dad and his mom and sort of what led to her downfall we know what that what seeing the tattooed woman means to him and so like it doesn't take a whole lot for us to be like okay him him acting differently after this scene makes sense him like doing backflips and shit in his in his room and then and then having like a great deal of charisma and sort of getting back into performing makes a lot of sense from that point but it just feels like there's certain connective tissue that uh, doesn't exist and i don't know if that's a negative so much as it, as it is just like a thing that i that stuck out to me, but it's at that same point where he looks out his window, sees his mom without arms. And like, you're hoping that it's like, like you were saying, Harry, you're hoping that it's a positive, his like path to resolving some of that trauma, some of like getting beyond some of the things that he, that have stuck with him since childhood, since, you know, he was forcefully abandoned. Uh, and instead like it sort of takes shape as more of a net negative, uh, like, her being vengeful her like him not being able to get away from the identity of that his father wanted to impose on him as a man with the tattoo and the you know violence against women and the general like living his life as a as a as an evil being i guess uh and he just instead of finding any way to move past that he is then drawn back into it by the presence of his mom that he hopes can be a positive anyway yeah, well, no, I mean, that that was really well stated. I was even going to go more basic and say that, like, I don't love watching the first half of this movie because it's really fucking hard to watch. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. this, this is a deeply yes. grotesque, upsetting movie, right? Like, at, at one point, an elephant dies and then people, like, break it apart to, like... Yeah. for for meat right it's um it that's purposeful right like i think that the sort of like carnival parade i guess you could call it circus right of um of like violence and abuse perpetuated by the first act it's really important for demonstrating the sort of cycle like i would even maybe argue that the most vilified character in this movie um phoenix's dad orgo um is himself like kind of implied to be a uh, victim right like he is hmm. um he uh, retreated from america because he apparently killed a woman he has this tattoo of an eagle on his chest that is a charm he calls it to like protect his masculinity to like make him hard against the world and to sort of like able to uh, retain his agency of lust and exploitation um but at the end of the movie like the thing that he sees or at the end of his arc right before he kills himself like he looks at the circus and he sees like el circo de gringo so like he still feels like, oh, like it's right. very much like a the joke was on me moment, and he turns the hmm. knife on himself um, a little bit. So, like, there really is a cycle of abuse here, where like one person's victimization becomes yeah. the impetus for them to victimize others. Right? That's very clearly portrayed through the mom. Right? Like she she turns this this very beautiful symbol of deifying and um, admiring the downtrodden and she turns it into this um very vindictive force that she can use to victimize others right like mm -hmm. now instead of 
um, instead of remembering the what happened with the girl with no arms and the fact that her agency was really taken from her, she uses that story as an excuse to take agency from others, including right. most obviously her own son. I mean, there's very clear symbolism of like, he literally doesn't think his arms and his hands belong to him, right? The movie ends yep. when he finally gets to retain ownership of his arms and his hands. And so I think that like, they are really building into this narrative. I, and I think, um, Jodorowsky, as you said, or Jodor, what, what did I say? Jodorowsky, yeah, as Jodorowsky. I said. It is. LJ. Uh, Jodorowsky. LJ, right. Yeah. Um, I think that, Jodorowsky. like, even even visually and, and even in terms of craft, there's a lot of the sort of, like, doubling of victim and victimization, mm-hmm. right? Like, there is, like, tattoos are a huge part of this movie, and, like, they are both sort of, like... The tattooed lady is a fascinating character because, like, she was tattooed maybe against her will, but she has made that into her her own agency, right? Or, like, uh, the, the woman with no arms who had her arms taken from her now uses the fact that she doesn't have arms to take other people's arms from them. Right. Her right. own son becomes the specter. Um, she says he's invisible except for her. Um, and he ends up killing women that remind him of his father and in his father's relationship with lust. So sort of like you can really like uh, trace the cycles of agency and agency robbing. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's that's where the empathy that you were discussing comes from. Right, Aaron? Yeah, well, I you know, it, it, I think it is a film about how the, the the things that scar you can also kind of be repurposed uh, uh, to help you kind of move past that, right? Like mm-hmm. the 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 symbol of the you know the the phoenix, which like great great name for your kid, dude, you know. Right. <laughs> uh, but like the, the symbol of the phoenix can can of course be like read right. as like uh, a way that this father is like forcing his child to to kind of follow in the same footsteps, right? He starts he starts throwing the knives he starts acting pretty bad to people right but it it, it can also you know I, I think even more traditionally be read as like a way to like you know be born again into rebirth to freedom of, yeah yes, right. to like start fresh and I think you know this, this is a film about like uh, kind of ex- accepting what has happened to you in the past and being able to like push through that, not like in spite of that, but but like maybe and, even because of that. Right. But in the most moving part about it for me is that um, I, I really think that this movie, it ends up saying that like you can move forward from what other people think that those symbols make you, right? Or, or think that that um, you are right. Like, I think that there's a big element of letting go of guilt in this movie that I really respond to. Um, and that's why the, the mother becomes the ultimate bad guy, right? Is that like, it's not his, his father whom he, he feels victimized by it's his mother who he feels in part responsible for, uh, mm-hmm. sort of like generationally psychically that ends up being the impetus for him becoming this very, um, warped, uh, sad person. And, essentially like as much as he overcomes the the symbol that his father literally grafted on him he's also overcoming the um the like psychic pressure that that he's putting on himself through his mom to like make that right right like he's saying i can be my own man i can have my own agency i don't need to be defined by either my mother's hands or my dad's phoenix symbol right and i think right. that's what alma represents at the end with the the little uh, flying symbol that she makes. Yeah. I, well, that's what I wanted to bring up next was Alma, because what Aaron was saying, I mean, it echoes what you said earlier, Aaron, but what Aaron, Harry, 
But what Aaron was saying just a second ago about how the things that can be used, um, the, the, to, excuse me, the things that scar you can be repurposed to, you know, heal to, to move forward. I think it's as much a movie about the things that can heal, uh, being repurposed to again, enact right. Like the fact that they use, like you were just saying this, Harry, about, um, like the woman who had her arms removed, uh, that symbol, that like exact thing is used to then victimize, you know, numerous other women, potentially dozens, I guess, if that graveyard, uh, yes. Nightmare is, is to be believed. Um, to that they can be used to like support that system of that cycle and, like, of that's violence the, and, and that's the only direction it goes right and it right. goes that way over and over again where it's like right. when someone is victimized they use it to victimize somebody else forever is like and what this yeah exactly and i think that's like why i don't know if alma's character has a whole lot of depth to it in that like she feel it feels to me like she is there to basically because she exists in the beginning of the movie as like this sort of little crush and she's maybe his little escape she doesn't have uh way too much i won't say presence but like she's unable to talk she's unable to hear she is not like an active participant in the world the way that the other circus uh you know uh, performers are and then as the movie goes on she's just gone for most of his life later on it reappears and she really does just spend the entire movie looking for him until she finds him in the place where he ends up killing his mom like that doesn't feel like a very active role in sort of like helping him move, f- f- but it feels like a quick savior type thing, like very resonant and meaningful. She like, again, to go directly to the symbology of it, she always welcomes him with open arms, even as he's like approaching her with a knife to stab her to death. She like, again, the arms thing, she's leaving herself vulnerable to him. She's sort of embracing him, uh, using the same symbol of, you know, that, that his mom has been using to victimize to instead like accept and grow and learn. But that is really like the first time that she has importance to the plot since the end, uh, excuse me, since the end of the first act. So I like, I really like that she had, that there is that piece of this movie, that there is something that gives him a certain sense of uh, release. Like at the end, he can have his own hands and he can like be his own person again, but it is through a person who has just been there exclusively for this one thing. Um, so I don't know. Do we want to talk a little bit about Alma? What like importance she had and versus the actual screen time she gets? No, I mean, I, I think I agree with you, right? Like, I think that if there is a major criticism and I'd be interested to hear Aaron's thoughts too, but like, it is a little bit disheartening, right? That like, basically you just need to have a GIF who accepts you, uh, for who you are silently and openly. And then you can, yeah, Yeah, he's really, he's really jump a shark on this. I I, I guess GIF, I mean, like. I would accept I say GIF, GIF if if GIF wasn't. I say already, GIF. Like, I say GIF for both graphic that, images see, format that's, and that's chaos. If there's like a that's, thing to say GIF, I would get it, but I don't. I feel it's, like GIF. It's GF or GIF even. Uh, nah, but nah, GIF man, is already. GIF. I mean, anyway. look, I'm not. I'm not like turning against you, you know, versus Jason and the Jodorowsky thing. So I mean, you know, you're safe. The, need me a Jodorowsky <laughs> GIF? Uh, okay. Uh, so, but like. I think you're right, right? Like, yes, she's underwritten, and also she's so purely symbolic and sort of like in a kind of frustratingly very gendered way, right? Like, she is the woman, wife, uh, like virgin Madonna, like mother type character that is going to save this dude from his own traumas and his mother complex right like she, she saves is the day real by extending her arms to give him a big old yeah. hug at the end right, right? like well, that, that's exactly you know, what i'm saying fault. Yeah. it's not your fault it's not you know that's, that's and she like, basically uh, 
it's it's a little bit too bad because like also like I and I don't I don't necessarily think this is true, but like um I making the mother the villain, especially when you make the out from the villain to be accepted as who you are without any of the uh like psychological package that packaging that accompanies that or or I should say rather accepting him as he is uh with all of that shit along with it is like mm-hmm. a little bit almost misogynistic, like slant misogynistic. You know what I mean? Where, where it's just like, yeah, like, listen, you could almost like see Jodorowsky dedicating this to his own mom where it's like, I don't have to be what you say I am anymore. Mom. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not responsible for your traumas anymore, mom. And it's like, yeah, I mean like, it's good. It, that's a good thing to learn. Like you do have to learn that particularly if like, you have been victimized yourself and abused by abused people, but also like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There should be a montage of uh, Phoenix going to therapy for like a three minute montage. Some some sort of music in the background. Over the credits, he, how they do he credits did on still one kill side. all those women. You go, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but you know, he's he, it again. Is, this is the Psycho Two thing. I need I need the Santa Santa yeah. Sangre sequel. Thirty years in the future. He's let out of prison, you know, and he's at a, it's like a it's a weirdly atonal film compared to the yeah. first ones. Maybe we throw in some elements of comedy. Am I I'm right. going to shop this around. I, I, I do want to. Yeah, he's uh, Yodorowsky is, I think, like 93, 93. 92 years old yeah. or something. You could probably get him back. We on could board get a new director. The one, market one is last. hot for this sequel. OK, Ari Aster's. You know. Santa Sangre. Oh God. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I, do I read Aaron in that uh, response about her, about like us needing a, a therapy like montage? Do you, do you think that she like Alma's place in this movie is more like, cause when I see it, I'm like, Oh, that's somewhat heartwarming. Our main character has like a savior, has a comfort zone, has something to help him transition and resolve all this trauma. But it is ultimately like, oh, that's her only purpose. Like she's kind of not her own character in it, except in one scene where she's almost sexually assaulted. Uh, is yeah. like, okay, that that's the one scene we get where she's like being built as her own character, as her own person. Otherwise, she's following posters and rumors of of her old, you know, flames uh, sort of whereabouts. It, it like she feels super wasted to me until the mm-hmm, very yeah. end, where it's like, okay, she is a symbol of this thing, but she just stands as a symbol, like an icon, like you might find an old ortho, old Orthodox church rather than like a person. And she's a, she's a yeah. pathway for him finding the innocence that he had uh, at one point in his life when he felt like mm. he was most himself, right? Like back when he was just the, the child uh, magician, he had this very pure relationship with her where they liked each other. They were sort of circus performers together. Um, that was the version of himself that he's always wanted to be that he felt like he could right. never be because of his father first with the Phoenix tattoo and all that that implies about who he is inside. And then with the duty that he felt he had to his mother um, after, after um, watching she lost her, her arms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Like yeah. A, a tragic uh, victim yeah. to his dad. Anyway, um, I sort of pointed that at Aaron, but did we get through your thoughts on Alma? Harry did you hijack. Have any... Harry, Harry took control Harry of hijacks. the GTA stuff. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, I would. I mean, here, here, here's the. I mean, my my, my personal opinion, which is maybe not. Uh, uh, yeah, my my own take, which is maybe not in line with kind of general sensibilities, is that I'm I'm like generally okay with characters being kind of one dimensional and, and serving hmm. a purpose in a film. Uh, I think you can you can do that a few times until and then you start getting a little bit of scrutiny put on you, right? But like I, I don't, yeah. You know, I, I think the film is very clearly doing a thing, and I think that yeah. 
all of the characters serve to further that thing. Right. Uh, and like sometimes some of them, Sorry. you know, I don't think you need some sort of backstory behind ever. Although, you know, she is get look, she is given a backstory. She, you know, there are a few scenes of her as a kid that are maybe slightly interesting, but like generally I think she serves the purpose that's not like necessarily a bad thing, but also, yeah, I, there, there is I, an aspect like, of it that feels underwritten or, I mean, like it's, it's why, not the why fact, her to offer that salvation. I guess right. I that, that's I it. Really right. Know. Is that like, it's not the fact that she's underwritten. It's that she's underwritten in service of like a very masculine, yeah. like very, yeah. very auteur sort of like traditional male director's idea about right. writing about his own trauma. Um, she's deaf which is, and mute, right. She, she, she's yeah, of course the literally, one to do that at the end of the film like yeah i i, yeah. I agree That's but like, i mean like it's yeah it's yeah, yeah it, it's yeah 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 it is yeah it is 100 percent yeah yadorowski yeah. yeah. uh in talking about alma we're like broaching the subject of how this movie like what this movie does with i don't even know gender aesthetics in a weird way like there is the idea that uh like he is there's a which I think it's a great scene from a filmmaking perspective where he's playing piano behind his mom and sort of like they've mind melded in this sort oh, of it's so good sub, sub, weird like one he like at a, yeah. at a core level is like sublimating his own identity through the ghost of his mom right once he starts doing this act where he plays with her where he you know is her arms in that scene particularly is very very pointedly I think uh, establishing that that sort of blend of uh, I don't even know but where he's playing piano behind her and yet like acting exactly as her hands, uh, even like in phrasing and she, you know, her exasperation, it is incredibly well staged and incredibly well choreographed, incredibly well acted, just a really fun, weird, a really, weird scene to watch. A yeah. really indelible image too. Right. Like, yeah. I just think that like, I'm going to be thinking about how he looks behind her with his arms through her sleeves sort of like so it looks like she has arms and the first time you mm -hmm. see them and they're performing you don't even really see that he's behind her until almost halfway through that scene yeah. right and you're like oh what what what's what's going on it is yeah. kind of like a it's kind of like ghost it's it's a, it's a lot like ghost, ghost um it's a lot like ghost um it like i guess to that point what well, the only reason i bring it up is because in that way the movie keeps like evoking not this and not even like describing or using to so, sort of like particularly pointed, at least not as pointed as the rest of the movie ends, but keeps evoking not like the separation of gender and like, uh, you know, traditional quote unquote traditional gender roles, but like the subconscious blending of them. There's like a whole character, a wrestler who is, uh, you know, established to be transgender or cross dressing. I'm not exactly sure. I believe some of the, uh, some of the uh, uh, costuming appeared to be like completely fake as far as like, anyway, uh, but like established as female in gender, uh, this character, uh, the, the, the wrestling character uh, is like where it puts the finest point on some of that, I guess where, where it's like we have uh, rather than said, like we've established the sort of very male violence, aggressive dominant character with Orgo in the very beginning and sort of the uh, empathetic, uh, loving character of the mother at the beginning. And like Orgo's never like redeemed or anything, but uh, specifically Concha, his mom is sort of like the opposite of that. She's shown to be like, not that sort of nurturing, loving person she is ultimately a vengeful spirit built from his own built from um 
uh, Phoenix's own perception of sort of like his melding of those two roles in his life of the very aggressive father and the very like open loving mother. Uh, it just like, it creates this weird evocation of like what it, what it wants to say about gender rather than like actually making anything about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think that that sort of necessary conflation and um, sort of like, I I would almost say like the leaping to conclusions that the movie does about the, like it, it really matches up with Phoenix's sort of like understated, but, but very clearly portrayed sexual um, dysfunctions throughout Mm -hmm. this movie as he sees it. Right. Like, I think that like the, the largest symbol that can either be, used to re-victimize and and perpetuate that cycle of victimization or to undo that cycle is uh, sexuality itself, right? Like, I think that Mm -hmm. this is essentially a story about Phoenix's journey to grapple with his own sexual feelings. Um, He and his mom have a very Oedipal relationship, right? Like, the first time that they're performing, she's literally retelling the story of Adam and Eve, and his hand is the snake tracing its way up her body. Um, He is literally, like behind her at all times, like embracing her basically as her hands. She is touching herself. He is touching her, that sort of thing that there is that conflation of like closeness with sexuality, which is also something imposed by his dad, right? Like his dad is this domineering figure who makes all sexuality male and female into domination into um, sexual conquest. That's sort of what the eagle on his chest represents to him, right? Is the Mm -hmm. hardness that will make him possible for him to um, dominate. And Phoenix hates that about himself, but there's a really interesting thing that happens here, right? Where like Phoenix still ends up killing women. And it's because it's women that, that are attracted to him or that, or whom he's attracted to because in his mind, and I think that this links up at least a little bit in my mind, maybe not, I, maybe I can't articulate it, but with the gender aesthetics that they're doing, where like all sexual attraction, it becomes lust. And so it becomes a temptation for Phoenix to become his father Hmm. and that is why his mom wants him to reject that because in his mind, his mom is saving him from becoming his father with like by taking control of him, making him the invisible man and making it so that I am only going to be an instrument of my mother's agency because my mother is the agent of good in the world, right? Right, She's the one that deifies the oppressed. She's the one that cares for me. She's the one that is good. My dad is sort of the elemental evil And so this becomes this very, like, very Catholic sort of like, hey, like, look what happens when you make human sexuality into something to be punished, right? And Phoenix is doing that in his mind, and it becomes, I have to destroy the objects that are making me feel these things that make me become like my father. But ironically, that what that translates to is he is now killing women, right? Right, right apparent behest of his mother but like look he has become a worse thing even arguably right and it's not even just like at the behest of his mother uh you were saying like because it blends closeness with sexuality and sort of makes that leap from sexuality to lust uh and like just sort of never having that pausing moment of well are these logical conclusions or are these conclusions of a mind like just addled by years of trauma that have gone unresolved but it's also equating that closeness with uh, like direct violence. The first murder that we see him perform 
maybe not his first murder, but his first murder we see him perform with the uh, other circus performer and the knives. Um, he ducks behind his mom before actually throwing the knife. Like he doesn't do it just because she's saying, do it, do it, do it. She, he always like has something except I guess when he murders the, uh, the wrestler, but um, he's always got her egging him on. And in that first instance, literally like throws himself behind her to like disappear behind her to become, uh, you know, like, like you said, the invisible man, that, that whole right. symbology of, or sorry, it's not even symbolic. He's just watching the movie and doing the thing directly. Um, <laughs> It, it, it's it's not subtle in that way, but yet like um, uh, I, I was just drawn to the idea of like what what it's trying to why it evokes all those things. If in the end it like ends up being a he came to like a certain conclusive answer about what his father left him with, about what his mother left him with, about like what he has to do with those things uh, to like make his own identity to become his own persons because apparently since he was 11 20 12 years old whatever he is in the first act he hasn't really progressed very much emotionally mentally he hasn't like moved into his own to become his own man like since he got that tattoo i guess well and i mean that's the interesting thing right is that just as his mom deified the the holy blood he deifies her as something who is sort of above reproach right someone who he owes everything to because she is sort of the saint martyr that she once worshiped mm-hmm. and so that is where the conflation reaches reaches its sort of like boiling point right is that like he can't he like the version of himself phoenix is like half of the personality we see in the movie. The other half is his mom. Whenever he starts to get close to women, which I believe he genuinely on some level wants to, right? Like that is what he spends the movie doing is trying to approach women, get them to be part of his show. Um, That's when the other element of his personality kicks in in the form of his mom, right? It's one of those things where like, I think that like women become purely symbolic in this movie because he is making them purely symbolic by sort of um, putting them on a pedestal the way he does, right? Like mm-hmm. every woman becomes his mother and that w- therefore like whenever he is attracted to a woman, he is becoming his father who wants to destroy his mother who symbolizes everything good. So right. he has to – he ends up destroying the symbol of good in order to keep himself from becoming his father or something along those lines. Right. Hmm. It's really interesting because it's like psycho in so many ways, except that like in psycho, the final like focal point of the, the aggression that, that creates the murderous intent is that Norman Bates is like, these women are doing this to me, right? Like right. they're, they are fallen. They're evil. Uh, that still happens here, but it happens in a really different way, right? Where like, it's he who is weak. His mother keeps telling him like, you're too weak to resist temptation. That's why I have to do this. And so like, even as he's killing these women, it's like, it's not their fault. It's his fault, you know? And, and he's like trying to resist becoming the Phoenix, right? The, his father, um, and that's what he gets his mom's help with. And I think that, like, he keeps hiding behind his mom because his mom is the one committing the killings in his mind to to prevent him from becoming worse, I guess, ah, right? Okay. And maybe maybe it's like that's that's him rejecting the idea that he's committing the murders because that's too hard for him to deal with or something mm. along those lines. The fact that he is essentially what he thinks his dad was. Yeah. Um, it's uh, – but but I I am really fascinated by like the way that the the victims in this movie are like they're not even sort of like 
vilified by their murderer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There, I guess the closest to vilification it comes, I noticed that again, base, base level no, uh, thing to notice, but like everybody who is bad in this movie or like coded as bad, the, the Coke dealer, the uh, tattooed woman, um, everybody who's bad is just like so cartoonishly uh, goofily into being like, takes such horny pleasure in being bad in certain ways. Like that guy is really, he, he really sexes up selling cocaine and like getting, yeah, 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 getting, getting, getting a bunch of people who cannot make their, who are not making their own decisions to do cocaine and like live a night on the streets kind of, and it's like, we've, maybe maybe a guy selling cocaine to like a group of people with down syndrome is bad enough already (laughs) maybe we don't need to make it seem like he's really loving this in like a carnal way uh i again maybe that's just the yodorowsky of it all maybe he really like maybe he wants it to be that weird maybe that's part of his surreality uh his, his whole like style and stuff it just felt like we've those moments took me out of the thing a little bit uh when it just became like goofy and a I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to talk myself into here. Um, but just when I think about like the, the motivations for being, or like the, how it turns uh sort of sexuality into lust or power into violence, it's turning like badness into sorry, pleasure into badness or madness into pleasure f- through right. the characters that, that do it. And like seem to have so much pleasure just being bad, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, and like, I think that that's another sort of interior journey Phoenix goes on, right? Is that like all of the symbols in his life that he loved and respected, the armless woman, his own mother, the circus, the elephant, all of those things were transformed into something to hurt him, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that there's something there about like, he has conflated all of these things as like, if I am attracted to something, if I have any sort of um, feelings of love or pleasure, that means that they are corrupting me. They're turning hmm. me into something that is evil. I, it's a very Catholic movie in that way. Yeah, that I yeah. Think, the, the more, more you, I think about it. <laughs> the more you talk um, about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, mean, go ahead. I was going to say, like, the, I, I, think, I think what it's doing is kind of tying into what I said earlier about um, – you know, using the things that kind of hurt you in the past to kind of grow and kind of uh, uh, kind of move forward. I think that the film is making kind of a conscious effort to show you that, that like not everybody does that, right? Like there is the mm-hmm. tattooed woman who, um, you know, certainly is not like, I, she is in the same traumatic situation at the beginning of the film. I think she is kind of painted as a villain somewhat mm-hmm. fairly, maybe somewhat unfairly. Um, but she you know, she is someone who her, her way to kind of move on from that is to continue to kind of perpetuate, uh, the same kind of stuff that traumatized Phoenix, uh, and, um, and the, the, uh, Alma as well. Right. Like she is, uh, which I, you know, she, she is tattooed in a kind of similar manner, much, much more tattoos than someone like Phoenix or his father. Right. Um, and that she, she, kind of continues down that path, right? She, she tries to, I mean, she basically takes in money so that this kind of a a random man can like sexually assault Alma and and then Alma escapes. Right. But like her, her response to that is to kind of keep on doing what she's doing, even descend even kind of deeper in, right. She is Mm -hmm. defined by her tattoos, by the events of her past in a way that kind of makes sure that that will continue to happen in the future. Right. And I think film is saying like, not everybody ends up like Phoenix kind of acknowledging, 
uh, mistakes in, in kind of moving forward from them, right? That there are kind okay. of, there is a branching path there um, to, yeah. to a certain extent. So that like some of that pleasure I'm seeing in people being bad is like they've chosen that thing in the way that Phoenix tries to choose moving forward, tries to choose like moving yeah. past his trauma. They've chosen like, hey, she she wants this life at a certain yeah. point i don't want to paint it as like choosing because then you get into like slightly problematic territory but you, you know what oh, i'm saying like yeah. yes there are there are kind of two responses i think or maybe more than two but there are there are differing responses to how people kind of work through this and and yeah. respond to it i think is, Good is point. what i think the film is yeah saying. i mean there, there's also the the point about like um y- there's a the final sort of irony is that um if the good things hurt uh, Phoenix, he has to let go of the idea that they are good, right? Like this, this psychic struggle that he has with his mom is about recognizing that his mom's relationship with him is not healthy, which means letting go of the idea that she was purely a victim, that she is blameless, that she is this sort of martyr saint personification of the holy blood of uh, the downtrodden, right? He has to sort of like ironically give her some agency about who she was and what she was doing in order to move forward. And so like, there is that, that really interesting idea that sort of like, I think ultimately what this movie is saying or what I think it's saying is that like, you have to um, reevaluate what's making you guilty. um, Right. And like, make sure you understand it for what it is instead of what you need it to be. Um, so like that, that coming of age story that Phoenix goes on at the end here is about him letting go of not only the trauma, but also like the, um, the love that he was corrupting or the, the love that he had turned into the obsession, right? Like he lets go of the circus that he loved so much. He lets go of, um, uh, Aladdin, his uh, best friend, and eventually he lets go of his mom, right? Because like he could not accept that his mom was dead. He couldn't accept that his mom mm. was human and not like a saint martyr. Um, and that was the what was doing what what it was doing to him. And so um, I think that like that links up a little bit with what Aaron was saying, right? It, it, is that like on some level these are people who who like can't let go of what they had or can't let go of like what they want. Uh, or or can't sort of confront that and that's what continues the the cycle um and that's what we see sort of like break at the end if that makes any sense yeah no it it syncs up too with like how he there's that sequence uh toward the middle of the movie i think where he starts just like probably hallucinating these but like uh, just blood constantly running from his mouth and nose as he like crumples there nude and it's like it's paralleling with the elephant dying with like how he was imposing a certain amount of himself on that thing and the and 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 a certain amount of that thing on himself as like the shame the guilt of uh what he wasn't able to do before he was whisked away and sort of like what responsibility he had uh to try to make things better for his mom and and work yeah I, i think i think it's it's sort of singing between the first and second halves yeah, well, and it's also his response. He has to let go of himself as an innocent, right? He ha- right. he thinks of himself in his mind as someone who is the invisible man, as someone mm-hmm. who, like, his mother is victimizing him now. He, in using his own hands against him to do these terrible things, uh, his father carved that symbol on his chest. 
at the end, he finally assumes agency, right? Like, no, these are my hands. This is my Phoenix. It means what I want it to mean now, but I was responsible for everything I did mm-hmm. with it. Um, and so like letting go of the deification of his mother is also letting go of his own innocence um, yeah. and and becoming a man, right? That's what the coming of age story ultimately is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think that that makes a lot of sense. It really works for me, right? That idea of taking responsibility. Um, it, I think that the movie pulls it off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Aaron, did you have any last thoughts before we start to, I guess there is yeah, no for, final segment of our show per I, se. I, well, I actually think I might know the answer to this, but but if you had to guess, how, how when when he has the when he has the doll of his mother and he's playing the piano, how does he how does he move her mouth? I I have a guess, but how does he how does he move her mouth? Uh, okay, um, both his hands on the piano. Come on, how, no, this how is, no, this isn't a pervy joke. I actually have an answer. Okay, this is not right, what's, whatever. What's the answer? Is it a foot pedal? Feet, of course, yeah, yeah I know yeah. or a string, I probably right. I but like you I said, it wasn't like, a pervy how? answer. <laughs> Okay, well, not all of I us mean, are feet I, fellows here. I guess also it could be one more layer of like delusion where he thinks that he even saw it, like in remembering what happened. Oh, I've, I I remember now that it was just a doll. He still sees the mouth moving because he's still got a little bit maybe. But yeah, I, like I, I did think that too because it's, it is, I don't know. I had a certain perspective perception of this movie is like when you see a trailer like the trailer for, the, for this at the trial line, you think this is a movie people are going to laugh at it is kind of goofy uh it is like it is weird enough to have moments where people are comedy where where people are going to just go wild like there's the point at which he's walking away from the apothecary and he like sees a giant boa constrictor coming out of his pants and he's like wrestling with it and like the lady can't see it and it's like it's a comedic it's a comedic (laughs) point in you know very yeah you've been here uh very comedic moment in like a movie that was made up of a lot of sort of dour serious moments that didn't happen as much as I might have thought it would in this movie. I guess I was expecting in the same way that like, what was it? Fantastic planet or fantastic voyage that, that one animated movie from the whatever sixties or whatever. Uh, We covered it on this podcast and it was the same thing. I go back to that movie when I think about these types of movies where I was like, I'm going to expect something way out of like, just wild, just things that I can't even barely perceive. I just got to watch them and be around, be along for the ride. And like Harry was saying, this movie ends up being a lot more grounded and concrete sure. uh, than, than I would have thought. Not in a bad way. Yeah. Uh, I think it does. It's like, just less surreal than you thought it was going to be. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, Holy Mountain, El Topo, maybe those are more off the chain type surreal horror dramas. Uh, this one was not, not as, as wild. I, I appreciate it because it's, it feels like a good place to start, but um it was like, like questions like that. I just sort of like let them go once I once I saw them. I'm like, how is he moving the mouth? Doesn't matter. It's, it's a weird. It's a weird thing. Um, I will say I really love the way that this movie uses music. Um, there's a lot of mariachi in it. There's a lot of like ballads. There's a lot of juxtaposition between like really st- terrible things happening on screen and just like circus music playing or like mm-hmm. carousel music playing and like. I guess you've seen it a lot now, but but it often is literally diegetic in terms of like there will be clowns playing the um, music around them. So oh, so maybe non diegetic if they're in his head. Ooh, um, but uh, a lot of like non standard like musical direction in this movie um, that I think works really well, kind of in the same weird way that some of the other grotesque images or or grotesque sort of like fixation on things makes for a a movie that really sits with you uneasily. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and, and maybe helps you get into the mindset a little bit more of, of the sort of um, creepy slope from uh, intergenerational guilt to lust to uh, anger at yourself slash anger at the world that this movie is yeah. going for. Um, so from a craft perspective, I think it does a pretty good job of that. That's a good point because I think of probably the moments that stick with me most from this movie are going to be the tattoo scene where he tattoos his son, where uh, the the um, the scene where he, I guess, behind his mom kills the tattooed woman, and the scene where he's playing piano behind his mom. Those are three movies that are like heavily underpinned by music, like some mm-hmm. sort of scene setting music that is at a little bit at odds, a little bit creating friction with what's going on on screen. So I didn't really think about the music until until now, just in retrospect. And I did just finish the movie a couple hours ago. So that's not, uh, you know, that might be recency bias, but I'd already sort of forgotten the place of music in those scenes until you recall it. Um, cool. Yeah. It's often used for a pointed reason too, right? Like the clowns use it to soothe him. And then it mm-hmm. turns out that the clowns were literally like these sort of like soothing security blankets in his mind. Yeah. Um, or like the the music is often used to sort of like set a, or try to impose a tone on something that really shouldn't have that tone, um, which can be really interesting too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but I don't I don't think I have anything to say other than that. Um, nice. What did you guys, I guess, think of this ultimately? <laughs> Good. Looking forward to more Yodorowsky. Uh Probably won't see it at the trial at any time super soon since this was a one off, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. In the end. Okay. Uh, well, then we have no. Uh, you've probably missed one of these voices, so um, you gotta just, you gotta just Cody. give it. Yeah, Cody. Cody is the boy. Uh, so no, Cody. Cody's naughty segment in this part of the show. But uh, I will remind you once again to go to trylon.org for tickets to showings for movies like this one, uh, including the Nick Cage series that is ongoing. Uh, you can go to trylon.org for those. You can go to tr- twitter.com/slash trylovepodcast for our podcast. You can find the trylon itself and news about it all across social media at trial on cinema. My name is Jason Daphnis. Uh, I guess I'm, it's weird to not do the intro, but to do the outro of this show. It's uh, it makes me feel like there are two halves to it or something. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendo Don't worry, Jason. I liked the second half of this more too. Okay. Uh, I'm Harry Mack and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. My name is Aaron. Find me on Twitter at RB please. Mm-hmm.